Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and I welcome you all here this morning. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you this morning and greet the holy among us. Please join me in saying our words by which we light our chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning is by Andrew Pakula. Come into this circle of community. Come into this sacred space. Be not tentative. Bring your whole self. Make the joy that makes your heart sing. Bring your kindness and your compassion. Bring also your sorrow and your pain. Bring your brokenness and your disappointments. Spirit of love and mystery, help us to recognize the spark of the divine that resides within each of us. May we know the joy of wholeness. May we know the joy of being together. Unitarian Universalists don't have a creed. There's no standard set of beliefs we all have to sign on to. We draw from all of the world's wisdom and faith traditions. And so sometimes people ask us, well, if you don't have that common set of beliefs, what holds you together? Well, I think there's a lot that holds us together. As Unitarian Universalists overall, we have a set of seven principles that we affirm and promote. This church had a set of values, and out of those values arose our mission. We put it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our reading for Centering this morning is from the Book of Qualities by J. Ruth Gendler, entitled Joy. Joy drinks pure water. She has sat with the dying and attended many births. She denies nothing. She's in love with life, all of it, the sun and the rain and the rainbow. She rides horses at Half Moon Bay under the October moon. She climbs mountains. She sings in the hills. She jumps from the hot spring to the cold stream without hesitation. Although joy is spontaneous, she is immensely patient. She does not need to rush. She knows that there are obstacles on every path and that every moment is a perfect moment. She is not concerned with the success or failure or how to make things permanent. At times, joy is elusive. She seems to disappear even as we approach her. I see her standing on the ridge covered with oak trees, and suddenly the distance between us feels enormous. I'm overwhelmed and wonder if the effort to reach her is worth it. Yet, she waits for us. Her desire to walk with us is as great as our longing to accompany her. We've come to the time in our service where we breathe together. 
breathing together, feeling one another's presence as we breathe together. We follow our breath into that deeper place inside, that source of greater wisdom, that spark of the divine within all of us. Breathing together, we dwell together in that deeper, wiser place. And dwelling together, we enter a moment of silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of the sacred silence in this congregation. I invite you now to enter a time of silence together. It is a joy to be back with you this morning after being out for five weeks, one week of a wonderful vacation in Costa Rica, followed by four weeks of study, 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 study. So it's appropriate that our topic this morning involves joy. A few years ago, I was participating in a discussion in a class back when I was still in seminary. We'd read some books about social change and social movements that dared to offer data suggesting that over the long haul, we humans have actually made some progress toward reducing overall rates of violence and increasing respect for human rights and dignity. Several people in the class found it very difficult to believe this. They argued with the data. The discussion got heated. For a moment, I feared we might single-handedly in one liberal religious seminary class reverse years of violence reduction in a single afternoon. I had to wonder, why do we as progressives seem to have so much trouble accepting it when actual progress gets made? Do we have some latent and unconscious Calvinistic streak coursing through our veins inherited from our Puritan ancestors? Aren't we the ones who broke away from that heritage and proclaimed the universal salvation of all people? Yet there we were, a room full of future Unitarian Universalist ministers basically arguing that humans were, on the whole, still catapulting towards violence, destruction, and ruin the victims of our own flawed nature. And it wasn't the first time I'd heard such sentiments expressed either among our ministry or our laity. I've been possessed by such despair myself from time to time. And so I got to wondering, where does this come from? If we are the folks that proclaim the inherent worth and dignity of every person, why are we so often so darn grumpy about humanity in general? Why do we find it so difficult to be grateful for it, to find joy in it when we actually do make some progress? Do we have some issue with celebration and joy? Now, I want to set aside for just a moment the rising authoritarianism in our country and our world that we're seeing and that many of us fear threatens that progress I've just been talking about. For one thing, I'm not ready to embrace the naysaying just yet, and we're going to come back to it later. We'll come back to how being able to find and create joyfulness may actually be a key element of organizing successful resistance movements against that very authoritarianism. First, though, let's talk a little bit about how do we define joyfulness, and then 
why do we seem to have this resistance towards accepting and experiencing it? And finally, why does any of this matter? I think most of us know joy when we experience it, and yet it can be difficult to define precisely in words. A dictionary will define it as an elevated form of happiness, but for me that, that falls far short of what my actual experiences of joy have been like. In the very few psychological studies that have been done on the subject, people described joyfulness as, yes, an increase of pleasure and happiness, but also an experience that expanded qualitatively beyond happiness to include things like a sense of right place in the world, a feeling of deep connection with other people as well as the web of all existence, and a sense of deep gratitude, of being blessed by forces larger than ourselves, such as love and belonging. Jewish philosopher and religious thinker Martin Buber had a way of viewing joy that I find exceptionally beautiful, even though I don't share the same concept of God or divinity that he had. It's okay, I can move these things into the metaphorical. Buber thought, that at the moment of creation, sparks of the divine fell into everything that exists in our world. And those sparks, they're still there, scattered, lying lost and neglected in all that surrounds us. For Buber then, joyfulness happened when we found those sparks, hold them up and release them. And we do that by finding connection with one another and the natural world. And Buber would have likely said with God also. I did an admittedly informal and unscientific public survey on Facebook where I asked people, how or where do you experience joy? Every single answer had to do with finding connection. Not one person listed getting a new car or getting that job promotion or even changing the world. Their experiences of joy were all bound up in relationship. Here's just a few of the comments they made. Laughing with friends, hugging my family, seeing something in nature or humankind that I've never seen before. Another person said, when I have actually helped someone in reality. Yet another commented, making mom smile. Someone else wrote, playing the ukulele with my daughter. Another one was, lying in bed with my love and my fur babies with nowhere to be. Other people spoke of nature, music, the arts, their church. One just said, my kitties. Metaphorically, at least, all of these people were finding joy, releasing those sparks of the divine by finding connection. And that all sounded great to me, but then I had to wonder, so why is it then that we can have this resistance I mentioned earlier to fully embracing and experiencing joy? We don't even talk about it much. A meta survey of psychological research found that 90% of the studies on record regarding emotions were on negative emotions. Researchers had done thousands of studies regarding depression alone, while there were less than 400 on things like happiness or joyfulness. Maybe it's not just we progressives that shy away from discussing or examining joy. In an interview with Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Brene Brown, well-known researcher, author, speaker, and goddess from the University of Houston School of Social Work said, 
If you ask me, what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion that we experience as humans, I would say joy. Dr. Brown says that we find joy foreboding because it requires that we be vulnerable because we know that fully knowing joy will also mean that we will fully know loss and hurt. So we can find ourselves when we're experiencing joy kind of standing back, holding back, imagining everything that might possibly go wrong and thereby not allowing ourselves to fully experience the joy. She tells the story of a man in his 70s who she interviewed who told her that his whole life he had kind of stuck to a middle ground. He'd kind of just stayed right in the middle emotionally, never feeling too much either good or bad, including joy. That way, if things didn't go well, he wouldn't be too devastated, and if they did work out well, he could feel a mildly pleasant surprise. In his 60s, he'd been in a car accident in which his wife of over 40 years had died. He told Dr. Brown that since the moment he realized she was gone, he has regretted not leaning harder into their moments of joy together, that not doing so certainly hadn't protected him from the loss he now feels. Dr. Brown goes on to say that in all of her 15 years of research, the only way she has found to cultivate joy as well as to interrupt ourselves when we get that sense of foreboding that can interrupt our joy is to practice gratitude, to find some regular, periodic way of recognizing that for which we're grateful. She puts it this simply, we don't get joy without gratitude. Now, in addition to Dr. Brown's research, I looked at some very interesting studies that also indicate that we can amplify our sense of gratitude and our experiences of joy by sharing them with people who we love. Sharing our joy seems to increase it and also seems to increase our sense of well-being and life satisfaction over time. And sharing our joy may also be good for those around us and well beyond them. A 20-year longitudinal study in almost 5,000 people found that joy is contagious through three degrees of separation within our social networks. Here's how one of the study investigators describes how it works. For example, in a network of sexual partners, if you have many partners and your partners have many partners, you are more susceptible to catching a sexually transmitted disease. Similarly, the most connected people have a greater likelihood of catching happiness. I'm not sure I'm happy about STDs as a metaphor for my joy, but, but the point is we can infect each other with joyousness at the level of our friends, our friends' friends, and our friends' friends' friends. Given the STD metaphor, let's just not let that get too friendly, okay? And this all may matter more than we might have otherwise suspected. Studies have found that on the individual level, living more joyfully can result in developing greater antibody responses to vaccines, reducing the risk of heart disease, and limiting the the seriousness of cardiac problems if they do occur. It can also reduce pulmonary disease, diabetes, hypertension, and colds and other respiratory infections as well. In a Dutch study of elderly people, it reduced an individual's risk of death by 50% over the nine-year period of the study. 
In children, studies have found that infusing their education with this sense of joyfulness not only increases their educational attainment, but it can help them move through the developmental stages more quickly. And people who have gratitude practices are more likely to take care of themselves and engage in preventative health care activities. At the group level, shared joyful experiences increase group bonding and cohesion and can be one of the most effective ways we have to educate and raise consciousness on social issues. And this, this is where we go back to how a sense of joyfulness may be a key element in our efforts to reduce the threats to civil and human rights, our environment, the institutions of our democracy, and on and on that we are seeing in our country and throughout the world these days. As many of what had been separate social movements begin to join together so that we can build more power together, a sense of joyfulness can help bind together these diverse communities who until recently may have been strangers to one another, and, and it can breathe life into organizing such broader, larger, and more diverse movements. And we don't have enough time left today to go into all that is being ed, uh, studied and tried. However, here are just three ways that have already proven effective in bringing that sense of joy into our organizing and bringing about social change. One, the use of humor as a community organizing strategy. I'll come back and give some examples on all of this later. Two, the use of culture also as an organizing tool. Things like the arts, street theater, advertising, music, singing, faith rituals, etc. And three, protest as theater and carnival. This is where a protest might be kind of like a huge party. It might include the usual march and rally, but also include street theater like a die-in, music, dancing, food booths, religious vigils, chanting, singing, and the like. Here's some examples. Church Ladies for Choice is a mixture of women and gay men in drag who protect clients entering a Brooklyn reproductive health clinic from far-right anti-choice activists by getting between those activists and the clients, playing tambourines, and singing such songs as This Womb is My Womb to the tune of This Land is Our Land. An observer at the protest as carnival event outside a meeting of the World Trade Organization a while back commented, I watched a hundred sea turtles face down riot cops. A gang of Santas stumble through a cloud of tear gas, and a burly teamster marched shoulder to shoulder with a pair of lesbian Avengers naked. Closer to home, when a Texas A&M alumni recently rented a space at the school and invited self-professed white supremacist Richard Spencer to speak, Rather than stifling Mr. Spencer's First Amendment rights, the school and its students instead organized a huge unity rally to occur at the same time as the speech. Held in the school's football stadium, this protest as carnival event included speakers, live music, and other fun activities. Several of the student associations at Texas A&M also worked together to make sure that by far the biggest part of the audience for the white supremacist speech was students of color. Even closer to home here in Austin at the University of Texas to protest the state of Texas legalizing the open carry of guns on college campuses, students and others instead open carried 
lifelike replicas of a certain part of the male anatomy. Now, I think that not only can this sense of joyfulness and playfulness make our social justice work more effective, but that we also need it in between the rallies and the marches and the lobbying and the calling representatives and the testifying and all of those other activities in which so many of us are so engaged right now. There is so much, and it can become so overwhelming cultivating joy in our lives and with each other can sustain us and help us avoid burnout and cynicism. It can nourish our souls and provide the fuel for the long work of doing justice that lies ahead of us. Especially in a religious setting such as ours, I think a sense of joy is absolutely necessary. As a religious scholar whose work I recently read put it, religion without bliss devolves into moralism. I think, I think this congregation has a wonderful sense of playfulness and humor, a joyfulness in our worship and throughout the life of the church. As we face the challenges posed by rising authoritarianism, though, and persist in our fight against racism and other forms of oppression, continuing to cultivate that joy together becomes even more important than ever. So in every ministry team and committee meeting, in every planning session for our next social action, in every classroom, and even in our individual interactions in hallways and parking lots, may we make it so. May we continually express our gratitude for and the joy we find in one another. My beloveds, life's challenges and sorrows will come. We face daunting hurdles ahead in our struggle for justice, equity, and the protection of our democratic processes. May we never let these things rob us of our joy. May we cultivate that joy together, finding and upholding those sparks of the divine that are within us and all around us. If only we remember, if only we remember to look for them. Amen. Please join me in saying our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we go out into our world today, I wish you the blessings of gratitude and joy. May you know and experience gratitude and joy. May you share that gratitude and joy with others, thereby blessing them also. May the congregation say amen and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.